Welcome back to the Sharpen Podcast, a podcast aimed at minimizing future outdoor accidents by way of storytelling. Real people sharing real stories. I'm Ashley, the creator and producer of this show. This show is brought to you by Rocky Talkie. If you've been listening to the Sharpen for a while, you know that I love my mountain radios. They survived all of my adventures these past few years, have an amazing battery life, and you can get 10% off by going to rockytalkie.com slash sharpend. If you're involved with any search and rescue team, listen up. The 2024 Rocky Talkie Search and Rescue Awards are open until January 31st, and they're awarding $75,000 to search and rescue teams. This year, five teams will be selected to each receive a $10,000 needs-based grant, and one team will be awarded $25,000 for the 2023 Featured Rescue of the Year. Go to rockytalkie.com slash S-A-R award to learn more and apply. Thank you to the American Alpine Institute for sponsoring this episode. The American Alpine Institute's mission is to provide world-class mountain education, exceptional guided experiences, and to inspire natural preservation. The Institute provides education, skills development, and guiding in rock and ice climbing, mountaineering, backcountry skiing and snowboarding, avalanche awareness, technical rescue, canyoneering, backpacking, and wilderness skills. With operations in six states and 16 countries, the Institute is widely regarded as a leader in comprehensive technical mountain adventure. Learn more at alpineinstitute.com. Andrew Clements was climbing an Indian Creek on October 18th, 2023, with a couple of climbers he had met in the parking lot the same day. He was on a route called Gorilla, his third climb of the day, which is rated 510B. He was standing about two feet above his last piece of gear when he fell. I'll let Drew tell you the rest of the story. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Sharpen Podcast. Here with me tonight, I have a guy named Andrew, also goes by Mr. Drew or just Drew. Um, welcome to the show, Andrew. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Yeah. Um, my name is Andrew Clements. Um, I live in Cortez, Colorado. I work for the Forest Service collecting forest health data and, you know, living in the mountains in Colorado. Um, do all the mountain activities like like all of us like to do. Um, climbing being one of them, which is the topic of this story. Ooh, that's some uh, foreshadowing. Where's Cortez? Cortez is in the southwest corner of Colorado. So some listeners might know of like Durango or Telluride. Okay, yeah. In that vicinity. And then for this story, it was at Indian Creek, which a lot of people know where that is. That's about an hour and a half drive from Cortez. That's pretty close. You're lucky you're only an hour and a half away from Indian Creek. You crazy? That's like the most amazing crack systems in the world, probably. I, I'm well aware. I'm very lucky. And um, it, I mean, I can I can day trip to Indian Creek. So that's where this incident happened. So what what time of year or what, what was the date of this incident? Yeah, so it was on October 18th, which was a Wednesday. Of this year, of 2023? Of 2023, yes. I had been working a lot. I travel a lot for work to different parts of the state to collect forest health data. 
And I also go up to Wyoming, uh, work in Yellowstone and the Tetons every year. And at this point, we had been kind of doing like um, generally like eight to 10 days on and then taking maybe three to five days off to recover and then hitting the road again. And so after having gotten home for a couple of days, I worked on a new house that I bought doing some some renovations and I had kind of all set it up and had like everything packed to leave again. And I had this one day, I was like, okay, this day I can go to Indian Creek and at least go get, you know, four or five climbs in or something like that. And then try to get back there as soon as we got back from the next hitch. Cause as many people know that climate Indian Creek, like fall is money. It's the time. The best time to go. It's, it's amazing. So it was Wednesday morning. Uh, I got up pretty early and headed out at Cortez, probably like 7 a.m. or something. Um, Like I said, it's only an hour and a half drive. So I try to get there, you know, when people are kind of gearing up in parking lots, specifically if I'm not if I'm not going with somebody or if I don't really know somebody that's camped over there. Because I got a lot of friends around the country and I know whenever they're in Indian Creek, you know, going link up with them. So I had just gone over for the day by myself and just pulled into super crack parking lot, which is usually really busy. And sure enough, you know, it was a busy day there. Even for a Wednesday, there was plenty of people there. And so I just kind of started racking up, uh, flaking my rope out and getting it all ready and waited, you know, till I saw somebody who else who looked like they were there solo or, you know, somebody I could ask and see if they wanted to link up and do a few pitches. And so I met a guy, Bart in Montana and um, a guy named Juan, and he was visiting from Argentina, actually. And we actually had one other guy. I can't remember his name. He just stayed with us for one climb and then had to uh, jet off to Moab. So, you know, we're in the parking lot getting our stuff together, seeing who's got you know, how many twos you got, how many threes you got for, for climbing some of those classic splitters up there. And then we headed up and um, we got up there pretty early. I think there was one other pair of climbers on uh, Incredible Hand Crack at the time. And oh my gosh, that's such a good one. Yeah. And I've been climbing at Indian Creek for a little while, um, but I had never gotten a chance to do incredible hand crack because, um, you know, there's always a line, but these folks were just finishing up. It was like, great, let's just do this. Maybe a little stout for a warm up, but not really that bad. And had one and Bart had, had they ever climbed incredible hand crack or was that their first time climbing that, that route too? Hmm. I don't know for sure. Incredible hand crack is actually not, you know, the, the route that was, that's part of this story. That's just where we started. So we all climbed it, had a great time. Wonderful to finally get on that climb. That thing's amazing. So since we had four at the time, that took a little bit of time. The one guy left and then it was just Bart, Juan, and myself. And we moved down to another climb. It's called like Flying Pigs something or another. I don't know. It. It's a two pitch climb, but we just did the first pitch, which is like a I think it's just 510. It's got some off with sections in it that I'm not good at. (laughs) 
did that and then finally moved on to our third climb, which we were kind of debating on whether doing super crack or this climb that's just another 510, like all of them, called Gorilla. Super crack was starting to get into the sun and it was fairly warm up there that day, even for the morning. So we got on Gorilla and I was the first person to get on it, you know, racked up. And Gorilla is the length of most of those climbs up there. It's not as long as like Indian uh, Incredible Hand Crack or 3 a.m. Crack or something like that. But it's all like pretty much twos and threes as far as Camelot size, spring-loaded Camelot size. And then there's two sections that are big pods where it goes to like a four. The first... Spicy. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's 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 pretty straightforward, at least a thought. <laughs> um, it's like hand, 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 knee. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a little bit of fist and stuff like that. So I get up to the first pod, which is probably about 18 or 20 feet up, give or take. And I had placed two pieces below that. So right off the deck, pretty early, I placed a number one just to protect the groundfall. So I thought, got up a little further, placed a number two. And I don't remember a whole lot of specifics about the climb, but I know after that two, I think it narrows back down right before it busts into the number four pod. So I get to that pod and I'm, uh, you know, having to switch from like uh, like good good hands or at least tight hands into, you know, kind of a fist size for me. And I was feeling a little uncomfortable kind of cruising into it. And my my last piece, my number two, was probably a couple of feet below my feet. I, I, I had a foot jam above that and it, it was back where it constricted down again. So like a like a number one foot jam and feeling the, the, um, the difficulty of the climb coming into that, that pod decided to place a number four. And so pulled off my harness, put it in the wall. So it would have been a, um, like a left-hand clip with the rope with the carabiner gate facing to the left, um, with that cam. And so that makes it kind of, I don't know if there's a term for it, but whenever you're clipping and it's kind of the palm grab versus whenever you grab the carabiner with your finger and slide the rope in, which is a lot easier to do in my opinion. So I'm trying to clip the rope and palm grabbing the carabiner and I drop the rope. And so I just kind of take a few deep breaths and I reach back down and I grab the rope again to try to clip and the carabiner is in the crack. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate climbing in Indian Creek. You know, sometimes you got to fish the carabiner out to clip the rope in. And so I'm trying to do that. And all the while, I think what might have happened is I probably adjusted my body weight a little bit to um, just maybe try to be a little more comfortable or be able to get a better grab on clipping. And I still have all the rope out to clip and my foot pops out of the crack and I go airborne. And so because of how much rope I had pulled out to clip and, um, you know, my, my last piece being a couple of feet below my feet, I had enough rope in the system that the rope didn't catch me. I fell all the way to the ground. So let's stop for here for a second. So how tall are you? 
I'm about six one. So six one, if and then plus two feet for the piece of pro, your last piece of pro below you, right? So that's eight feet. Then, and I'd imagine like an arm's re- reach above you to clip the piece of the number four. Yeah. That's maybe call it another foot and a half. So you're talking like nine and a half ish feet times two, because then the rope goes double. Yep. And then plus rope stretch. Plus rope stretch. So this is at least a 20 foot. 20 feet of rope in the yeah, system. Like yeah. Um, 20 feet of rope in the system. Well, 40 feet of, of well. 40 rope. Because you, you would, no, it is 20. I'd be a little 20 plus rope <laughs> stretch, right? Yeah. And, you know, and I don't know, I, I wasn't paying attention to like how much slack my Belair had out. That's not something uh, I want to make it. I want to make this clear that I fully trusted my Belair and I did not. I, I don't I don't place any blame on my Belair. Um, I think it just was the perfect storm of having too much rope in the system, falling while clipping, you know, all those bad things coming together. And I think the rope probably was starting to um, get tight. Like when I hit the ground, I don't know how much it cushioned my fall, if at all. But in any case, yeah, foot popped and I fell to the ground. Whenever I fell, I fell about as perfectly as I possibly could. I landed flat on both feet, probably a little bit back, falling away from the wall. So I kind of hit my heels pretty hard. And um, I mean, I was wearing a helmet. I didn't hit my head. I didn't hit my back or anything like that. I just kind of accordioned and sort of rolled backwards. And initially I was thinking, wow, that could have been really bad. And I felt fine, you know, for the first few seconds. And then after I'm like kind of sit up on the ground, I start kind of assessing things. And I look at my hand and my middle finger was laying across the rest of my hand, um, clearly broken. Broken from the from this joint here? Um, yes. Yeah, so I'm sorry, I'm flicking you off, but <laughs> hey, this, that's the rude. Bone, <laughs> the bone between uh, these two knuckles. So uh-huh. the first knuckle off of your palm to your your first big knuckle, that bone there was broken. And it was broken very badly. It was shattered. So what had happened is somehow while I was trying to clip the rope and my foot popped, as I was falling, somehow the rope wrapped around my finger. And that's what, whenever whenever my body weight pulled the rope tight, it snapped my finger. I didn't feel it at all. I feel like thinking back on it, I feel like I might've hurt it. But I don't know for sure, you know. Yeah. But, um, you know, and I had talked to some other people and they've known some people that that has happened to and their fingers just came off. Right. They call it degloving where your skin, where your skin gets essentially degloved from your bone structure and you just have this bone sticking out with no flesh on it. So you could have been (laughs) degloved. Your whole finger could have been amputated. Um, So it could have been worse, but it sounds like you, you definitely had a broken bone. So that, that, that's a surgery, right? 
And it was very obvious that it was the rope because there was a real nice rope burn, like right where it was broken. So that was pretty obvious right away. Again, like I didn't even know until I looked at it that it was actually broken. It didn't really hurt, you know, probably lots of adrenaline. I mean, adrenaline just from climbing, let alone the actual fall. So one thing that was great is a guy nearby. And I think a lot of a lot of people I climb with, a lot of people I know have some sort of medical training, whether it be just basic first aid or wilderness first aid or um you know, even EMTs and stuff like that. And Wolfer. Uh, so a guy saw it happen. A lot of people had heard it happen. And a guy came over and, you know, first thing he said was, um, you know what we have to do, right? <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I do. And so I just gave him my hand cause he had to straighten it, you know? So he put a little traction on it and we straightened it and then taped it up. So after that, um, I, was still kind of reeling from the accident, you know, lots of adrenaline and I was actually feeling really flush. Um, I thought for a moment I might pass out, but I never did pass out, but I was kind of pacing back and forth at the base of the cliff. And I started realizing as time went on, like I wasn't, it got to the point that I couldn't walk and I didn't, I didn't realize it, you know, until then, but I, started to understand that I did something to my ankles or, or to my feet. And, um, you know, eventually I just had to like sit down and that's where I had to kind of rely on the people that I was climbing with who were awesome. They helped me out so much. They packed up my entire bag. I couldn't get my harness off. They had to undouble back my harness, pull that off and then we started kind of talking about how I was going to get back down to the car. For people who don't know about Supercrack Buttress, it's a great, easy approach, you know. And most things there in Donnelly Canyon are pretty simple to get to. I mean, you're maybe two or 300 vertical feet from the car and like maybe a quarter mile or something like that. It's, it's really not far. It's like a 10 or 15 minute walk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Um, I mean, I could have been like, the cave wall, if if you know where that is, that's like a two hour approach or something like that. It's crazy. Uh, for it's crazy for Indian Creek anyway, because everything's so accessible. So we started kind of trying to figure that out, and as time kept going on, like it was just excruciatingly painful to put any weight on my feet at all. So here's where the story gets really kind of unique and funny. Is um, Right before I had started climbing on Gorilla, I kind of looked down the wall back towards the left, back towards like Incredible Handcrack. And I noticed there was a guy over there with crutches and a walking boot on. <laughs> and I was like, that's eh, good for him. I mean, I don't know what he's doing up here, but he, he walked his happy ass all the way up here. So <laughs> there he was. And so now it's after the accident and I hobble over to him and um, I, he was Australian or maybe Kiwi. I apologize. I don't really, I don't know the difference between the accents that well, but clearly he had been climbing. He had hurt himself. He was probably there on vacation from Australia with his buddies and didn't want to just sit at the car. So he crutched his way up there and 
I asked him if I could borrow his crutches and his boot to get back down to my car. <laughs> and certainly he had no problem with it. And the people I was climbing with eventually um, ran him back up to him. But without that guy having been there, I would have had to like probably boot scoot or maybe like piggyback be carried down the hill because um, I just couldn't put any weight on my on my heels at all. So, yeah, that was great. Never caught his name. If he's listening to this, you were a superhero that day, along with Barton Juan. Uh, everybody was great. I really appreciate it. But yeah, got back down to the car, gave gave my information to um, to Barton Juan uh, because I had to leave three of my cams in the wall, my number one, two, and four, and I was hoping that they could get those back to me at some point. Have you gotten those back yet? No, I I, I haven't actually. I think that maybe they lost my information or something like that. I've actually been able to talk to Juan, but I believe Bart has my cams, and I haven't heard from him yet hoping he lost my number and hoping that maybe if you're listening to this (laughs) bart from montana if you recognize this story and drew climbing on gorilla in indian creek if any of that rings a bell and the number one two and four camps are just loading your rock down a little bit too much Give this man a call. You can contact him through my website and I will connect you to him. Okay, shameless plug over. Hopefully you get that back, Drew. Moving on. What happens next? (laughs) Well, let me add one thing to that. I have his number four that got left on my harness because I was going to need two number fours. So I'd like to get his number four back to him as well. Bart, if you hear this, holler at me, man. So, um... Yeah, back to the story, uh, back at the car, you know, like I said earlier, fortunately, it's only an hour and a half drive. So drove back to Cortez, thought about going to Moab, uh, which is closer, but, you know, I just figured I would go in the direction of home. So I, I first first stop was uh, urgent care. I called them from my car from the parking lot. And as soon as I told them the mechanism of the injuries, i.e. the 18 to 20 foot fall, they immediately were like, no, dude, you have to go to the ER. Like, I guess legally they couldn't even treat me because, um, you know, there could have been, they, they don't, they obviously didn't know, but there could have been a TBI traumatic brain injury for those who don't know, or some sort of spinal injury. And actually backtracking to the guy um, who clearly had some medical training at the cliff, as well as some other folks there. If any, if anybody out there has taken like a wilderness first responder, you're probably aware of like the, the A&O plus one, two, three, or four, which is awake and alert. No, I'm sorry. Awake and oriented. <laughs> I guess I should know this. Mm-hmm. To person, place, time, and event. Yeah, exactly. And they basically just kept asking me questions that pertain to that, you know, do you know where you are? What's your name? What day is it? So on and so forth, which was awesome. And I appreciated that, but I definitely did not hit my head or my spine or anything like that. So things were, um, things were good, but it was good to have those folks around. In any case, um, so they told me I had to go to the ER. So I go to the ER. They x-rayed the finger to see how bad it was. It was clearly broken. 
and I sent you a picture of the x-ray. It's, it's pretty shattered, broken in a lot of different pieces. They also uh, x-rayed both of my feet and in my, on my left foot, my left heel, I put a small, very small fracture in my calcaneus or calcaneus or the heel bone. So they said that was like actually pretty great that I didn't break it that bad. Oh, I mean, obviously, but um, apparently if you break your heel bone, um, it can be really, really bad and your foot can balloon up and um, it can quite literally change what you can and can't do moving forward in your life. I got really lucky. Mine was just a small little fracture. Uh, so they gave me a boot, sent me on my way. And that was pretty much it for that. The right heel, uh, no break, just uh, really badly bruised. And I guess they said there's like, I guess a fat cap or something in there by the bone. And that can bruise really badly. It's pretty painful. Uh, even just a small little fracture and um, couldn't really walk for probably about a week or so. And then following the um, diagnosis of how bad the fracture was on my finger, they said I was going to need to go to a hand specialist in Durango, which is quite a bit bigger than Cortez. So scheduled that whole deal and went in and scheduled the surgery, which um, the surgery was uh, actually the day after my 38th birthday. So that was a nice little birthday present. (laughs) And yeah, so that's kind of the most of the story, Um, you know, not really getting so much into recovery, which I can, that kind of falls into my um, lessons learned, I guess, really. What are the lessons learned? First thing that I beat myself up about and thought about a lot is I feel like I was being a little stubborn while I was climbing. And what I mean by that is I was like going for the on-site, you know, and I just looking back on it, it's like, it's not, it's just not that important. And, and that's just me. Um, you know, I'm 38 years old. I'm not proven, like I'm not a professional climber. I'm just having fun. Like why, why was I so concerned with like making this climb go clean? I could have just grabbed the cam. <laughs> I could have just grabbed the cam, grabbed the rope, put it in, said take, and been totally safe, finished the climb, had a great day, and like probably wouldn't even thought again about not having, you know, red pointed or on sided or whatever. Why didn't you? I guess because I just wanted to do it clean, <laughs> being stubborn. It's really all there was to it. I don't know. The other thing I could have done is. You know, after that first time that I dropped the rope uh, while I was trying to clip, I could have told my belayer to take then and just taken a little, you know, eight foot whipper and would have been fine. So I, I think that's that's the first lesson. And that maybe pertains more just for myself, because I know, you know, a 24 year old climber that's like really going for it. Saying don't be obsessed with the on-site might not be the words that they want to hear, but um, in this particular scenario, it certainly would have um, saved some time and money and recovery and all that. I guess the another thing is maybe maybe work on my clipping. 
uh, be better at clipping in different cases and not struggling through that and just maybe would have gone smoother. And I guess another lesson is I do take care of myself and I work out a lot. I, I hike all the time for my job and do all these outdoor activities and being, I think, in good shape um, really made a difference on, on, you know, falling and having that impact and, um, you know, just barely breaking my heel. And then of course, after the, you know, a few days after the fall, I started feeling achy all over, just kind of like, like you've been in a car wreck sort of thing. But had I maybe not been in as good a shape, I mean, I could have easily broken a leg, could have, you know, it could have just been a lot worse. And, um, I, I guess those are kind of my, my takeaways from it. The big one being just climbing, maybe a little safer. Could have grabbed the cam. <laughs> Do you kind of, are you kicking yourself? Cause I can kind of see it in your expression. Like it looks like you're disappointed in yourself that you didn't just like grab the cam or, but you know, we all do things in the moment. Like maybe in the moment you're trying to push yourself. Right. And so you, you wanted to, you wanted to do it clean because you just want, you want to do it clean. You wanted to push yourself. And then, you know, accidents happen to everybody. And so you slipped and then, you know, like, like you were saying earlier that, you know, it was a new belayer to you and, you know, you were two feet above your last piece of pro and, you know, you, you haven't really practiced that type of, clipping because it was the carabiner was facing the other way and you're using your left hand instead of your right. So it's like all these things kind of align to be a bad situation. But by the look of your, by the look of your face and your expression right now, when you're kind of going over your lessons learned is like, you, you look to me like you're disappointed in yourself. It's not so much disappointing in myself. I'm just, I'm just bummed that I had to miss the rest of Indian Creek season. <laughs> And I'm a very active person and sitting around, you know, and not being able to do stuff for a while was, was, was tough. And then also, you know, I got a trip planned to El Potrero Chico in Mexico. And I'm, you know, just really hoping that I can get back to the point in a quick enough time to be able to, to make that. So I'm disappointed in what happened. And in hindsight, I guess, I, I realized what I could have done to completely avoid that situation because I mean, there, it's one thing to like really go for it and to try hard and push yourself. But in my opinion, the way the accident happened, it wasn't like I wasn't really pushing myself whenever it happened. Like if had I, had I been trying to pull some hard move and take the fall doing that, yeah, that would be, I don't know cooler <laughs> um drew let me see your finger just, like what kind of range do you have on your finger right now i mean this was this was this was mid-october right this year so it was only two months ago look at you can already ball your hand yeah. to a fist that's incredible yeah i've been really aggressive with pt which i and I, I actually kind of had i guess i guess you'd call them lessons learned uh that were that were during the recovery and one of them was just like you got to go for PT like you got to do it hard you can't skip it it sucks it hurts every day you know after I after I got the surgery oh and I guess I should say um, so I did have to have surgery on my finger and they had to put a plate inside my my finger there 
and it's got six screws that go into it. And the doctor said, I, I think he said he was able to get like three of the screws to actually set because it was just so shattered up that there wasn't really anything to like screw it into. But then after, I think it was two weeks after the surgery. So I, I kind of had this like stiff plate that went to like here on my arm and then that was wrapped up. And then I think it was two weeks after the surgery, I could take that off and I could start trying to move it a little bit. And then following that, um, they took some stitches out and he said, you know, I need to be able to get my finger to 90 degrees in three weeks or I was going to have problems with it because the tendon, he said the tendon was actually in pretty good shape. But whenever they did the surgery, they had to move the tendon out of the way on the top. And he said they probably did more trauma to that from the actual surgery than from the actual accident. And so he said basically the fibers in that tendon were like zigzagged instead of being paralleled because of the trauma of the surgery. And so I had to essentially stretch that thing back out. And that's what I mean by like being able to get that to 90 degrees he said, if I wouldn't be able to do that, then it was like, I, I guess just kind of, kind of be stuck a little bit, have a lot less mobility. So I really went hard at it. I would soak my hand in warm water to like loosen things up and pretty much just crank on this finger until like I couldn't stand the pain anymore. And that's kind of what he instructed me to do as well. He said, be be mindful that the bone is still healing. So I kind of had to figure out ways to hold my finger where the break was. And then like, I would push it against a wall to like get it to bend. And yeah, I just worked at it really, really hard. And um, I was able to get there pretty quick. Um, I still can't straighten it all the way. And he said, I might not ever be able to, but Seems more important to be able to do this <laughs> than to do that. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, agreed. So yeah, it's doing pretty good. The other week I actually did hop on top rope in a gym or it was like an auto belay, but I don't know, maybe climbing like five, six or five, seven. I've started to get on the hangboard a little bit, but not my full weight, just kind of buckle my knees and put a little weight on. The thing is, is all the, my whole hand is almost needing like physical therapy, not just that finger. Yeah, I lost a lot of muscle, mm-hmm. a little atrophy, I guess. And, and and all the way down into the wrist. And then there was all kinds of bruises and, you know, strains and stuff like that. Both wrists were hurt pretty bad from, from falling. The middle finger on my right hand got sprained pretty badly and is taking forever to heal. But I also only had this hand for, you know, a month and a half or a month or so. So it hasn't really had a chance to, to heal. So that's taken a little time. And um, as far as my, my heels, they're pretty good. It definitely hurt for a while. And they still, like, at the end of the day, they'll be pretty sore. But I, I ran a half a mile earlier today. Uh, I just didn't have much time. But I ran a mile and a half the other day and did pretty well. They still get a little sore. But one thing I wanted to say that, um, and I don't know if it's like a lessons learned thing, but something that was just 
incredibly helpful for my recovery, not just physically, but mentally, is I got a membership to the local rec center. And so starting off just a couple of weeks after the accident, I was able to um, wear my boot and actually go and cycle. So at least I could do something and I could get out of the house mm-hmm. and like, so important. talk to other people because I live alone. So it was kind of tough doing a lot of stuff. Um, I had I had some help from my neighbor and my ex-wife actually came over and helped me out a little bit. So shout out to them. But yeah, being able to go to the gym. And then as soon as I was able to, um, you know, like I was cleared to to be able to like actually wash my hands, like get it wet, you know, after the, the, um, after, after the incisions all kind of healed, then I started swimming and I've never really been a swimmer, but now I'm, now I love it. I swim all the time (laughs) and it's, it's just been, it's been really cool. And it's kind of been a blessing in disguise because I, I wouldn't, I definitely would not have gone to the gym as frequently as I have been going. And I just feel like it's, help me stay in shape whenever I haven't been able to do a lot of things. And then I've met some great people. I met, um, he's a bit of a Luddite and I know he'll never listen to this podcast, uh, but his name's Bobby. He's an older fellow. He's uh, in his seventies, but I met him at the gym and he was, he's got the second ascent of the North pillar on Fitzroy <laughs> or, uh, wow. or is it Sarah? No, that's on Fitzroy. I think. Uh, just, it was just cool. I thought that was, it was nice to be able to socialize. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like if you're ever in this kind of situation and you have the means and you have the facility, like go do it, work PT into your workouts and just like get the blood moving. It really will help healing go a lot quicker. so much to Drew for sharing his story and thank you for listening to this podcast. If you have learned something from this episode or any of the Sharpened episodes, please tell a friend or family member. Spread the word about my podcast. Help me get these stories out into our climbing community so we can all minimize future outdoor accidents. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the new Sharpened podcast channel on YouTube. Thank you so much to Rocky Talkies and the American Alpine Institute for sponsoring this podcast. And thank you to the American Alpine Club for believing in my podcast mission. The American Alpine Club podcast is your guide to the climbing community, exploring the many ways that we define climbing and the ways that climbing defines us. In recent episodes, the AAC pod interviewed Tom Randall about why training might be for you, even if chasing grades isn't your style. They also teamed up with Rocky Talkie to give search and rescue teams some love and got to share the behind the scenes details about the decision-making, risk analysis, and emotional toll of three tough, inspiring rescues performed by volunteer search and rescue teams. You can find episodes like this and more by finding the American Alpine Club podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcast. Subscribe today. And as always, remember, play hard and be smart.